This episode of the Brap Talk Motorcycle Podcast is brought to you by AGV Helmets and the new AGV K6. What you need and what you want in a motorcycle helmet. Hello, my fellow Brappentonians, and welcome to Brap Talk. This is a weekly podcast where we discuss the happenings of the motorcycle industry. I am your host, Jensen Beeler of Asphalt and Rubber, and joining me on this two-wheeled adventure is my beard of Christmas cheer, <laughs> Mr. Shaheen Avandi! Ho, ho, ho. Merry Kwanzaa. I, brought, I bring you tithings of Christmas, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, and... Yalda. Diwali? Yalda. Is Diwali right now? I don't know. I what don't is know. I gotta Google that one. I don't know what that one is. There's a lot there's a lot of holidays. I feel like I feel like everyone's trying to take a piece of December with them and just I mean, take you know, it home. I mean, I think what it comes down to is, you know, back Festivus? in the day, back in the day, people were like, it's cold, it's dark, it's scary, people are attacking each other. Let's all get together and make a lot of noise and make everything bright. And then at some point someone was like, Christmas. It's very northern hemisphere of you. Very. That's very northern hemisphere. All I heard right there is northern hemisphere. Uh, I mean, I'm a northern much. hemisphere person. You know, that's I've never really lived on the southern hemisphere. Did you ever see the um, the uh, West Wing episode where they talk about the map of the world? And they like because that was the whitest thing you've ever said. I think that was like, like that was the most northern hemisphere thing I've ever said, and that was you just took it farther north. From I me. mean, West Wing is. I feel like I feel like 24 is the right wing or like the neocon reaction to the West Wing. That's 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 my philosophy. It's like the West Wing is like a liberal wet dream. They they literally solve peace in the Middle East. They nice. were, the Palestinian Israeli conflict it, it gets solved. Okay, they balance the budget. They get healthcare for everybody. That should be everyone's fucking wet dream. It, it, like it's like like all these like major problems that we've spent decades solving. West Wing did it in like eight seasons, no problem. Why why are we not paying more? I haven't. You know what? I have to go watch that show. Maybe we'll, maybe there's some true solutions in this. It's thing. really well done. I I love Aaron Sorkin. He does good dialogue and like he's very uh, character driven. Right. And the the cast of West Wing is quite good. But uh, um, there's this episode where like they talk about maps and like how the maps are wrong okay and it is true because like a lot of our we're, we're using like a 2d representation of a 3d thing and that doesn't always wait it's not flat Thir oh, Earth? oh anyways but it, it, if you look at like like the size of like greenland on like some like a lot a lot of maps you look at greenland and africa they look like they're the same size right. and they're like totally not Hmm. And it's just the way that like if it's a I forget the different names, but like one's a projection and one's like does it have uh, consistency across the latitude? Does it have consistency along the, along the longitude uh, around the equator? Um, it's an interesting topic. It is, but and 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 West Wing gets gets into it. But like they go through this whole thing and then they'll go like, well, what if we told you that North isn't really North? And then they like flip the maps upside down. Whoa. And they're like, because like most maps show like Northern Hemisphere prejudice. <laughs> and you're like, well, okay, you got a point there. Um, <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. So it made me think about with your your comments. Or, yeah, you know, I don't watch shows like West Wing. I'm very bad at television. I watch things like Six Underground. Have you seen that garbage? I hated it. Dude, that's like. So bad. I, I, 
I have never seen so much gratuitous stunt work just for the sake of stunt work. Michael Bay is a hack. Michael Bay, bleep, bleep, blow. I did like, I saw something. I feel like he was making fun of himself in this movie. Like, yeah. This was a caricature of all of his movies put together. I do. Uh, someone made a comment like, oh, Michael Bay is doing this. So at least I know I'll see like an explosion from 12 different angles, which will be cool. Yeah, And, and you're you know like, you're going to eh, see some doves true. flying somewhere. Yeah. Or pigeons or whatever the fuck. Um, so like, I guess, I mean, that might be, the movie was garbage. Just garbage. Maybe. It was entertaining as hell. I was not entertained. You weren't? I, mean, was I was. It was just like, you just put it on and don't think about anything. It was like a vacation from reality. No, I, I hated it. It was so stupid and funny. They're, they'll probably make like 12 more of them because that's how Hollywood works. Well, yeah, that's how I it ended. It. it ended like there's going to be more. That's stupid. It's horrible. This isn't the end. It's horrible. Um, One last thing was, it was we were talking about the holidays. I was reading a really interesting National Geographic story about the changing of the calendars and how we went from like the Julian ca- calendar. Now we're like doing something else and like how like the long and the short of it is basically because of all these calendars and how like off they were. And, and like, cause like one, the Julian calendar was, was uh, lunar based. Right. And the uh, Georgian calendar is solar based, but they were still off by like a certain number of days and over like the decades and, and centuries, like, like we've shifted time basically because we're off by like 11 days or whatever time's just a construct man and it's the same idea of like like the horoscopes now like you've oh i was born a libra like well libra really was like you know (laughs) three thousand years ago was really like (laughs) may and not october so you're not really a libra gotta Um, change the entire narrative now because of this yeah but it was just it was just funny because it's just like oh well like everyone's trying to get a piece of december and it's like well technically (laughs) back in the day like we were doing christmas in july so you know no big deal or, or December was in the summer. And North was the South. And North was the South. Everything's changed. The more, the more, what are you doing there, Kona? She's got an itch. And you're not her. helping her, so she's got to do it herself. I don't have my notes in front of me because Coda has taken up your laptop space. Very fluffy in my lap. and it's got sharp teeth. Yeah. Oh, man. Her, her nails are so sharp. I have to, I have to clip them. Oof, that can, sounds, that sounds terrifying. I can hear them when she walks on the carpet. <laughs> oh, oh she's like gripping the, she's just grabbing. Grab a little Poor strands. kitty. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a bad dad. Um, let's talk about motorcycles, though, because because I don't have the flu anymore, which Woo! is great. Everyone in Portland's got the flu, man. I'm, I'm basically like, I, I'm here, and then I'm going home. I don't want to catch it. Dude, the flu is real. The flu is real. Um, I was in bed for like two weeks, legi- legitimately. Woof. I couldn't. I, I get tired walking from one room to the other. Uh, get your flu shot. You know, my wife got it last year, and when she still got the flu and gave it to me. Well, did you have the flu shot? No, but she got she had the flu shot and she got sick. The flu shot's interesting. Yeah, it's good for like one strain, and there's like a thousand. Well, of them. no, it's not. It covers four strands, but there are a ton of them, especially influenza type A. That's what she caught. There's like thirty different kinds, yeah. and we really only inoculate for like two of those, like the biggies. She went to the doctor to see what the hell's going on with her, and her doctor basically said, "Is there somebody else at the house with you?" She's like, "Yeah, my husband." And the doctor said, and I quote, "Dead man walking." Yeah. <laughs> and 12 hours later i caught exactly what she had and i was everything she had i was 12 hours behind her yeah i think the one i got was type b and that that is covered by the flu shot Ugh. and that's like a weird one to to kind of like have out there because it doesn't mutate very much Oof. but um it was brutal like definitely getting my flu shot because like, i mean it was just, i just had a fever for 
10 days basically it's just you're just tired the whole just time tired. everything yeah. sucks it's a good time to catch up on shitty television i watched a lot of television yep. i lost a bit of weight you look good yeah down 10 pounds nice. suck at chris ulrich i was gonna say how's chris doing have we caught up with uh, the... i think chris has finally lost a pound a pound a pound i think it's just i think he's still within the margin of error on his scale so he's got to step it up so you're ahead if you know chris ulrich send him a text message right now that he's a fatty if just you know say, Chris Ulrich just, and just you go, have the flu, like, go visit him. Yeah. Give the guy a break. Just walk right up to him and sneeze right in his mouth. Help a brother out. Do a little like... <laughs> and then give him like a handshake just, or a just, hug. Just hold him by the face like you're going to kiss him and right in his mouth. And kiss him. He, like, he likes <laughs> kiss him. He likes kisses. Does he like him? people. He's like a kisser. Like open mouth tongue? A lot of tongue. What if you have a beard like me? A extra beard. If you have like snot and boogers in your beard. Nice. Extra that. If I catch a flu this year, Chris Ulrich, I'm visiting you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you send him a text message right now that says "oink oink fatty," uh, <laughs> you will get a free Brap Talk sticker. Ooh, done. How do we? You got you got to take a screenshot of him like giving you the honor system. Honor system. Honor system. Yeah, you yeah. proof to me. Damn it. Yeah. This, this is, a, work this is America. Sticker. You got to show me proof of your math. <laughs> you know how much postage is? Come on. <laughs> oh, that's gonna cost me uh, fifty-one cents or whatever. Um, so that was the bad news on getting shows out. The good <clears throat> news is that we have a bit to talk about we got because a, yeah. we haven't really been able to get anything done the last uh, few weeks. I've been in Florida. You were in Florida. I was in California. Oh, I visited my poor mother when I had the flu. I hope she doesn't get sick. Oh, dude, don't do that. I, it was like... Wait, no. You know, yeah, your mom, big, huge deal. But also, how many people were in that plane with you? You're patient zero, basically. Oh, I didn't care about that. So, that's you're just, that's you're just the guy reality. I'm afraid of in the plane. I've been on so many planes where some dude just hacks up like like they cough and they don't even cover their mouth. I know. I see adults doing that all the time. And so like I, I was just like, you know what? Like I can't help that I have to travel when I'm sick. I, I got to do it. But I can at least be a courteous traveler when I'm flying. I, we were at DFW last night in our... That's uh, Dallas-Fort Worth if you don't Dallas, know your Fort Worth uh, airport, airport codes. Which has its own zip code. It's such a big fucking piece of land. The the airport has yeah, its own zip code. It's really? got its own zip code and its own highway. I'll believe that. Yeah, it's it's pretty massive. Big. It is a big one. So anyways, I'm standing there in line because they were they were like, hey, if you have a bag, if you don't mind, we'll check it in for free for you. I'm like, sweet, you can have it. And there's a dude behind me and he had one of those what I call sneezers where you sneeze like five times in a row. Yeah. I, I swear I felt it in the back of my head. Uh, and I just turned around and just gave him the... There's times I realize I'm intimidating looking is when I'm just like angry. You're a big guy. Yeah, just angry Persian bearded you got the beard. tattooed guy. I just oh, turn yeah. around and stare at him I'm like, really? And he looked at me he's like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, thanks. Just what I wanted was some idiot sneezing on me. Dude, can you can you perel the back yeah, of like, my head for this? me? And my wife is just like, oh, he's going to die. It's, just, it's like common sense. Like, oh, I got to sneeze. I got to cough. Cover that shit up. Cover that shit up. It ain't no thing. Where's your mother? I got to talk to your mother about not teaching you shit like this. Like, come on, man. That's like basics. Yeah, dang it. And then like, uh, probably wrong. The guy we was could like do, a foot shorter than me. We could, yeah, we could do a whole episode of stupid things people do on airplanes. So I see people like they take off their shoes, they put them up on the on the backs of the chairs, Clipping your nails in the plane. Just it's craziness. Like I feel like. I don't know what it is if it's just like, hey, we're all stuck in this giant metal tube for 10 hours. Box. So like anything goes, but Ugh. anyhow, um, yeah, motorcycles, motorcycles. Um, oh, I literally just hit a button and then all my notes went away. Uh, I watched, um, oh, no. Oh, no. I watched the, the, the last Fast and the Furious Hobbs versus Shaw or whatever uh, on the plane and 
I said the same thing I always say, which makes my wife laugh. I hate when they use fake motorcycle noise and it doesn't match the fucking bike on the yes. show. Like they were using this crazy, like made up electric sound for what was clearly a fucking speed triple. What a geek am I that I'm like, that's a speed triple. It should sound like a three cylinder. Yeah. But it's like, woo, 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 woo. that was the noise it was making the whole time. <laughs> I'm like, stop it. What James Bond movie was it? Was like they, they like obviously went from like a, S one thousand double R, right? And then it gets in the dirt, and it's like obviously a dirt bike, and then like it gets back on the road, and it's obviously back to the S one thousand double R, and you're like, oh, like not even close, guys. Like, like you can see the knobby tire, and then it goes back to like a slick, and you're like, oh, you can tell whoever's editing that they're like, no, no, we've heard only three percent of Americans ride motorcycles. No one's gonna notice the shit. I feel like Hollywood's getting better about those sort of things, but like it definitely still happens. It happens all the time. And it's like usually when it's a twin and it's got an inline four noise to it, that's I just pull my hairs out. I can't. Like this show just lost all credibility for me. You guys didn't take a minute to make a Ducati sound like a fucking Ducati? Especially if they make like a big deal about it being a Ducati. Right. Like all sport bikes sound like inline four high revving motors and all cruisers, no matter what it is, sounds like a big, big Harley. That's just that's just the standard two noises they have in Hollywood for motorcycles. It must be like a like a sound package thing <laughs> i'm, sure, I'm sure there's like a an application that they use i don't know if it's like an adobe product right. or or like final cut pro or whatever they're constantly it is. shifting gears like how many gears does this fucking bike have every scene meep, 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 meep. Well, like dude it's another thing like in fast and furious yeah like 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 oh i shifted and then i like launched ahead of you and you're like ah, it's not actually, actually kind of lose a little bit of space it's not, not really all that it's really kind of the opposite when i push my glasses up and say well actually when you shift gears you lose a little bit of momentum and the torque is less and i always wonder why people don't want to watch movies with me because i usually shit like that happens and i'm like nobody else noticed this is that am i the only oh, one that's not the reason shame it's probably nice because i smell so you're I little, smell good you're a little gassy I am a little gassy. Every time I come out of an airplane, I don't know what it is with it's that fart that, box. Oh. It pressurizes me. I'm the same way. I fart for at least 15 steps. I'm the same I've, way. I count my steps like... There's pfft. something about the pressurization that just oh, wrecks havoc in here. Just, you're welcome, everyone, for me not doing it in the plane because I want to. Yeah. Right in my seat. Like, fuck it. I'm going to rip. That seat's seen better days. That's like I, I won't be the first or last no. to have farted on that seat. No. But I still don't do it because I'm worried about it smelling. <laughs> and what am I going to do that? Like... Oh man, did you smell that guy in front of me, dude? Jesus, wept. <laughs> uh, all right, fifteen minutes in, we gotta do we gotta do motorcycles. We did talking about ta- so. I'm trying to figure out where I want to start with you, Zarco and Ianone. These two knuckleheads. Okay, so, I mean, I'm of the belief that if you're expected to perform at a certain level as an athlete, you should be given a little leeway. I mean, I'm here to watch a cool athletic thing. Let the guy do a little steroids. What's up? I think there's so many. There's so many. I don't even think we're going to talk about Zarco because all I want to talk about is Ianone. Zarco. Just say his name. Zarco. Done. Next. Done. Uh, he's going to go race with Vindia Ducati. Good luck. <laughs> Welcome back to MotoGP. Uh, you know, Ian, oh. I think the thing that kills me the most about the Ianone so, so for those who don't know, Andre Iannone tested positive for steroid for anabolic steroids. Uh, he looks at, buff at the Malaysian Grand Prix, and <clears throat> depending on when this recording comes out, I think it's going to take a while for him to get. You his think he's going to appeal it? He's gone. He's got to. He's got to appeal it because uh, he's acting like he's done nothing wrong. Um, <laughs> and of course, you appeal it because, like, maybe you'll get lucky. Who knows? Um, 
I feel like this. Sh- I think the appeal is going to take a while, so this will be kind of relevant. What do you but, think his purpose is for using it? I mean, they're not trying to get bigger. Do you think it's just for thing. like the anti-inflammation that's aspect of it? I one hundred like with with Iannone, I don't even think it's a sporting reason. Like knowing <laughs> knowing him, I think he's just really like I want to have bigger muscles. I feel like. You know, it's hard to put ball sacks as big as some of these writers have in their suits, so maybe he's just trying to shrink them. And we all know that steroids will turn your nuts into raisins. So yeah. Maybe that's what it is. You know, that, that's, he's just trying to fit in his suit better. But that's an imp- performance enhancement. Damn it, you're right though. That gets in the way. Everybody else is huge nuts, and this guy no, doesn't. I think he because he got his his jaw redone, and he got a bunch. He's gotten a lot of work on his face what? over the last couple of years. Is he really trying to live the like rock and roller lifestyle? Yeah, he, he's like he's. He, I had him marked down as this guy world, gets butt implants. I'm done. World Superbike Champion 2021, Miss America Pageant winner 2022, or something of that nature. Because he's just he's going down this weird route of like trying to be like this pretty boy guy, and there's a lot of like gossip in European magazines, especially Italian magazines, about like what's going on, and a lot of people are chalking it up to his girlfriend or his ex girlfriend. It's a weird. I I don't know how much credibility it is. Like that's just the gossip. That's just the gossipy gossip, and it could be totally. Uh, you know, and it's just go get your eyebrows done, bro. What are you doing here? Yeah, but the 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 thing that's obvious is he got the uh, surgery on his jaw that um is widely said to have been purely cosmetic, huh. uh, and that caused him. He, he actually got an infection from that surgery, and that caused him to miss some racing and some testing. So it was kind of a big deal. And there's some talk that maybe the steroids, the the because the, the Malaysian Grand Prix was around that time, right? That maybe the steroids were f- part of that surgery or part of that procedure or, like or a, the aftermath thereof for like a healing process. Could be, but in that case, like you get what's called a therapeutic use exemption, mm-hmm. and you just you basically just say like, hey, I have to take steroids because I have inflammation in my jaw. My doctor says I have to take them. Here's my doctor's note, basically. And you're, I'm going to test positive for this. But I think they use why. a very specific steroid for that. You would use an anabolic steroid. Really? Yeah. You, you, you could. <clears throat> I mean, it's the same thing. But that's that's like the part like that makes it almost even like more crazy because like, oh, you actually had like a legitimate reason. You right. had a therapeutic use exemption in, in theory. And you didn't register it with the FIM. And now you're getting popped for it. I mean, I don't know if that. Yeah, I don't think it's a big problem. Is uh, I don't know if that's like the actual case, but it's definitely like one of the possible narratives. And you sit there and like, that would be even more like crazy in my mind, where it's like, <laughs> okay, so you had this like plastic surgery thing, it went bad, you got like an infection, you missed a bunch of races, that whole thing was bad. Then you had to fix it with steroids, but you forgot to like tell people you were taking steroids, even though like you were totally allowed to in this specific case. Yeah, but then you'd have, to admit, that, you'd have to admit to the plastic surgery then. No, but like he, everyone knew he got surgery. It's just, it's just what that surgery was. Was right. you don't have to admit to that. You yeah, just I say suppose. like, hey, I got inflammation in my jaw. I got to do the thing. Right. Yeah, that's fair. And you sit there and like, and the problem is like for those that know Yanoni and know his circle, like that narrative is not outside the realm of possibility. And you're like, yeah, I could totally see that happening. <laughs> I could totally like see him screwing that up. And, and just like one person was saying, like he and his manager are not smart enough to, to cheat. Like, um, like to do like, to have this be part of like some sort of like performance enhancing where like, he's going to like, cause steroids do help you in recovery and they do help you with inflammation. Right. And, you know, 
getting stronger. Not that like a, a motorcycle racer really wants to bulk up, but the recovery time I'm working out would be beneficial. But they're like making the joke, like, I don't think he's smart enough to put that together. <laughs> and you're like sitting there like, oh, I'm like, have they, have, has anyone I, interviewed him since this has happened? Um, or is he keeping pretty quiet? He, he put a thing up on social media that was basically saying like, this is obviously wrong. I've done nothing wrong. I, I, I will be acquitted. Time will, time will tell. And you know, he's right. Like time will tell if his, if his B sample tests negative, he's set. Um, it's just whether or not it tests negative. I like a little off season, uh, drama. The kicker is it's an automatic four year ban from any FIM sanction. Wait, so does this mean Brattle's gonna, well, that's the thing. So at his age, that's like career over. Yeah. Four years. Like you're, and like, he's such a pain in the ass and he's such like a difficult rider and he's so mercurial. Like he's got such an amazing talent, but you're just never sure if that talent's going to show up that like it would really end his career. And so now like, that's the big thing. Like is Bradley Smith going to take his place? I saw a thing today saying that Carol Abraham, who, who announced retirement, uh, just a few weeks ago, basically because he didn't have a ride anymore. Zarco basically took his ride. Right. Um, Look, hey, we got Zarko's we got, name hey, twice. Hey, we got Zarko in there. Nice. Again. Oh, hey, buddy. Hey, Zarko. How's it going, buddy? Three. <laughs> um, he he might come into it. Uh, you know, we'll see. I I, I don't know what Aprilia is really doing, but I my understanding is that they're basically acting as if he won't be racing there next year. And like that's kind of like a shame because like Ian Oni probably only had one more season in MotoGP. He was probably going to finish out his contract, and the way the MotoGP contracts are set up for 2021. Like basically everyone's contract ends at the end of next season. Mm. So it's going to be, it has the potential to be a lot of musical chairs, but there wasn't really a strong argument for why Ian Nona would still be in GP for, for reasons I've, I mean, unless he does something miraculously amazing in 2020, he would have to not only be faster than Alicia Spargo, but probably like put it on the podium every weekend. Maybe 2020 is the year Ian Nona comes back. With his stronger jaw. I don't think so now. And his less inflammation. Yeah. His less slightly inflammation. bulkier muscles. Slightly bulkier. A little bit smaller nuts. I'm just like, who takes fucking steroids? Um, hey, you know, that's like, even to this day, when I hear someone's done steroids, I'm like, that's still a thing. Still it's like that? when I see somebody smoke a cigarette, I'm like, wait, those are still a thing? Oh, I don't man. know why. I don't know why I'm blown away every time I see somebody smoke a cigarette. Yeah. Well, they just raised the age for cigarettes, which is crazy. To what? 21. Really? Yeah, you didn't see this? No. It hasn't been... I don't uh, smoke cigarettes. I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't become law for like another like six months or nine months or whatever. Huh. But they pass, they pass the law as a part of the spending bill. Right. It's interesting. Uh, it's mostly a reaction to vaping. Shane, we need to do a podcast. I, I've, been, I've been plotting this. Okay. I want to call it everything but everything but bikes. We could do that. Where we talk about everything except motorcycles. Surrounding motorcycles. And then we just talk motorcycles on this show. And that way this show can be 20 45 minutes, minutes long. <laughs> and then we can have like another like if hour that. and a half show. <laughs> That's twice the revenue. Just just every that that show will probably be even more popular. Yeah. We could we could we could really figure something out there. <laughs> everything but bikes. Everything but bikes. Brought to you by Asphalt and Brought to you by Asphalt and Rubber and Brap Talk. <laughs> And then you do a drinking a drinking game with it, where every time we accidentally do talk about bikes on that show, Ooh. you take a you take a shot, or or you. That's chug probably the best way of getting us to talk about bikes more is to tell us not to talk about bikes. Yeah, it's like a it's like, like a pink don't go outside today. Oh, I'm going outside today. Don't think about a pink elephant. Ah, damn it! It's the first thing that comes to my mind. Yeah. Um, 
Anyway, so just teasing that out there. Maybe future show <laughs> Maybe. 2020. Everything but bikes, 2020. 2020. Everything but bikes. We'll, we'll, we'll shop it around. <laughs> um, where was I? Enone. Enone. Bulking. Steroids. 2020. Like, so, like, there was a lot of talk that he could go to World Superbike for 2021, and he would do really oh, well there. Yeah. You know, especially because 2021 is around the time Aprilia will probably have a new version of the RSV4, mm-hmm. like a, an all new, brand new version. Right. And, like, you could. You could make an argument on why you would want to build a team around. Like he is enough of a talent that he, with the right team, you know, and especially Aprilia wanting to have an Italian rider, they could do like what they did with Biagi. You build a team around a talent, you give them all the resources. Like could legitimately go out there. I don't know if he beats Jonathan Ray or not, but definitely going to give him a run for the money. Yeah, it makes it more colorful. Definitely going to give Ducati or you know a scare of Scott Redding and Chaz Davies. Like they're going to be there. Um, Scott Redding. And now, and now he just totally effed it all up. Uh but allegedly 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 no, i mean like he definitely tested positive for it there's no allegedly about that now whether or not he's going <laughs> to yeah, get the ban whether or not that b sample exonerates him he just needs a note from his doctor nobody can read those anyway no, it's, it's just too late. late it's too late damn it you got to get that exception in ahead of time that's why it's so funny where it's like so you potentially you could have had a medical exemption and you just you just didn't do the paperwork like i said not smart enough to plan this shit like you're just killing me. Like every time, like I hear like a story of like something he's done, I'm just I'm just like, oh, you're just killing me. Like it's just such a bonehead move. I'm so excited to hear what the actual everything behind this is. Yeah. Once it all, all like, once once all the chips yeah. are on the ground. What are you doing? And, yeah. What's going on? What's here, going buddy? on? Let's little, let's talk. Little little person to person talk. I'm not big on like writer biographies, but I think I would definitely read his. You know this? Yeah. Just because <laughs> it's gonna be so crazy. It's just gonna be so fucking crazy. He's it'll such be, a crazy it'll be everything guy. Everything but bikes. <laughs> You know, like he, you know, they call him the maniac, and you're like, yeah, it was supposed to be like his on track, but it's like, no, like your off track stuff is just crazy. Like you just make the worst decisions. You have the worst people around you. How old's he? Uh, off the top of my head, like 28. I don't know. Oh man, I'm trying to think. He was like, he was like 25 when he was in Moto Two. I thought. I don't know how many seasons has he been. He might be 30. 89. Yeah, he's 30. He's 30. So 30 and a half, roughly. 30 is a good time to start doing steroids. Do they pee test every season? They they get randomly pulled. Uh, I think they do five riders each round. <laughs> is it random when you see Iononi walking down the pits and he's a little bit bulked up? Like, wait a minute. That's the thing. It's just so obvious. What's with those traps, bro? So obvious. <laughs> um... Yeah, it's, it's silly. It's a bunch of silliness, but it, it provides good entertainment in the off season. Yeah. So there's that. Um, speaking of, I don't know if this is entertainment in the off season, but certainly headlines in the off season. Did you see that Yoshimura Suzuki is pulling out of Motive America? Yeah. That's, I don't, mm. it's craziness. I feel like I'm watching my teenage years just withering away. It's, um, there's been a lot of rumors about it. Like there's been murmurings, not since like the start of the 2019 season, but definitely like partway through like early summer, there yeah. was a little bit of chatter about it. And then there's the, that big thing, like Ben Spees was kind of calling out Motive America and like Wayne Rainey and him kind of had like a thing over it. And like, cause Spees was saying that there was going to be no factory teams in Moto America next year. And technically he's wrong because Team Hammer, which is the John Ulrich, Chris Ulrich's, you know, M4 Suzuki team, mm-hmm. 
they're not going to be the factory team for Suzuki, but you can make like an argument that Spies was right in the sense that like, well, Yoshimura was the true factory team. Like, yeah, like factory mm. team is there's shades of gray with that, you know, like there's, there's like, um, like the Ducati Corsa MotoGP team. Like that is a factory team where the, right. the entire team operates in the factory in Bologna and they have like their own workshop and like true blood factory. It's, it's paid for by the company and blah, blah, blah. And then you have like factory supported teams or factory sponsored teams. Right. Um, so it's like, it's really interesting. To I, I haven't, I haven't talked to Chris. I don't know what the, the arrangement is with, with his team and and Suzuki, it does sound like um, it's going to allow them to expand into the uh, the smaller classes with a quote unquote factory team uh, or factory supported team, which is which is good. But like, I don't know if the factory level support from Suzuki is the same as it was for Yoshimura. I don't think anything or, from Suzuki is the same as it used to be. That's the thing. Like that's the to me, I'm it, watching right? this as like, oh, is this another? Is this another little crack in the Suzuki armor? But you know what? Like you could say that Shaheen and I, and I wouldn't disagree with you. And like we saw that with Yamaha, but like Honda's not in Moto America. Ducati's not in Moto yeah. America. Kawasaki's not really in Moto America. You know, KTM's not in Moto America. Not not in the, in the superbike level at least, right? So what's what's so, Suzuki's standings in like so, world superbike? Yeah, so is that like really like like Suzuki's falling apart? It's like well, like when you only have two brands in there, I don't know. Like, hey, you're in it, you're in it, All right? Um, Suzuki in MotoGP, they're they're not. Well, no, but oh, world sorry, superbike. sorry, sorry, world superbike. Um, they're effectively not. That might change for next season. We'll have to see how things shake out. There's always like a rumor of like. Alsteri or Crescent or some of these like high level privateer teams, SMR, Xiaomi mm-hmm. Racing. Um, there's always like a, a amusing, like kind of musical chairs of like what bike they're going to be on, like whether they're going to be on like a Ducati, an Aprilia, or a Suzuki, but they're not factory level teams. They might get some factory support. And that's usually what makes them jump ship from one to another is how much support they'll get from the manufacturer. Right. BMW is like this a little bit too. They're kind of in that space. Um, so we could see a Suzuki on the World Superbike grid. It won't be a factory Suzuki in the sense that like the Ducati is a factory bike. Right. The Honda is going to be a factory bike. Um, the Kawasaki is obviously a factory bike. So it won't be at that same level, but... You know, again, it comes back to that 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 gray, that gradient of like, well, are they well, building the motors? I think it's also fair to say that Moto America as a whole is not really like it doesn't draw that big of a crowd. It's not. It's interesting. Like, I don't think they. I don't think it. It. I don't think. I don't think it's a driving force in the industry. No, it's not a driving force. It doesn't have the same cachets it had in the past. That's right. for sure. Um. What's interesting, I just got an email actually from the Moto America press department because they were talking about how much more viewership and an attendee, attendeeship, attendance, attendance, uh, at the tracks there were and like how the sport, how they're like, Hey, this is how much we're growing. And like the numbers were actually pretty impressive hmm. in terms of the growth. The downside is like, I think as many people watched Moto America this year as like we had visitors to asphalt and rubber where it's like. I, don't, I ain't got no factory support. So does this mean they, they'd hit rock bottom and it's slowly building back up so it looks better? Yeah, maybe. I think that's <clears> probably the better way to say it. I think 
I think the direction that Moto America is headed in terms of like the the trajectory of the business and the racing is is headed in the right direction. Mm-hmm. I think we just dip so low that like, hey, we got I forget what the number it was like seven million views on YouTube or something like that. Mm. I was like, okay, well that's not that many really. And if last year's There's was cooking shows that have more like than it. That. If last year's was three million, like okay, like we doubled, we doubled viewership, but like we're still not really like high fiving over numbers that are really impressive yet. But I think the thing that's good is that Moto America's got a TV package. It's on uh, uh, a channel that most basic cable packages will include, hmm. and so like you know it'll be easy to find if they can make like a really good streaming package. Cause like that's the thing for me. Like I don't have TV. No, I, I have. I, I everything's on streaming something or another. I just bought a new Apple TV. I fucking love it. Oh, do you really? Because now, because my old, my old, the one I had before like was so old I couldn't do apps. <laughs> so now I've got like the app. I'm like, oh, I can download a MotoGP app. So much better than streaming it from my phone. But like that's the future. Like like you and I don't have like television, and most younger no. people don't have television. I have like YouTube TV just to be able to watch news once in a while, but yeah, but you're not you're not paying Comcast or no. whatever it is for that. You're paying a service. You're paying like your Netflix. Like I have I have Netflix and I have HBO and I have Disney Plus and I have Hulu. I don't have Hulu anymore, but but you know what I'm saying. Like yeah. you, you know you sign up for these kind of like a la carte things. Yep. And that's how you consume your media now. And I think if Moto America like I think it's great that they have a TV package because that's still a thing especially for the relevant market. But I think you also have to have a strong streaming package with, um, especially if you want to get to, to younger viewers. I was just reading a, a thing uh, yesterday about Twitch. I just learned about Twitch like a week ago. That's because you're fucking 30 years old. I'm 40. Oh, I wish so, I was 30. You're so old. I'm so old. You're so old. I'm officially that guy like, I didn't know about this Twitch. Nah. Twitch I thought Twitch was a thing I had after I drank too much coffee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot that you Fuck were Look Twitch. Ener- like, please educate me. No, is it like, and I'm, 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 I'm not that much younger <laughs> than you. I'm 37. Oh, you're in your, you're in your late thirties now. Um, but like, I'm at that age too, where I'm just like Twitch. Like, I don't get it. I don't know. But like it's definitely something that's on my mind because it's it's interesting for us as a podcast. I think about sometimes doing our, our show on Twitch, um, which could be interesting. It could be interesting. More ideas that I'm percolating, giving out for free. Hmm. We'll see. We'll see. But it is it is so popular. It is so especially with younger audiences because it started out for those that for those of you that are our age and don't know what this is. It's a live streaming platform. That is really popular with gamers. That's where it got its start. Like people would play like Fortnite. Fortnite basically became a huge deal because of Twitch, because like 12 year olds would play Fortnite, live stream it, and other 12 year olds would watch them. And it was, it's, it's a form of entertainment. And esports is a huge kind of burgeoning area of, of, um, it's kind of interesting merger of technology and and sporting, right? And like we we even see it like like Dorna is trying to get heavily involved with esports, having kind of like uh, an official league for the MotoGP esports games, and people are you know doing racing sims. Like the, the amount of money that people spend on racing sims, like for cars, is yeah. ridiculous. Like, MotoGP like should do the thing that the uh, um, Gran Turismo did. 
where they started like an actual like league of racing and yeah. then like you get to a point where you actually go on a track and exactly dude it's it the problem is is like gran turismo and this is where like automotive and motorcycling really take a divergence like the automotive sims are so good they're so good they're real life like yeah. grand i remember playing grand turismo when i was like i've been a playstation person because of grand turismo that's, absolutely. I've, I've had every every iteration absolutely i love that game and i've never really owned like a gaming platform right. i've always just had to like tool around on others but i remember playing grand turismo for like 36 hours straight when i was 15 and yep. even like back then that's like playstation 2 or whatever right the level of detail you're like you can completely change all the the chassis setup on the cars yeah and now it's like even further down the road on that you have to get like specific licenses and i mean oh i, I love that about that game oh, i hated that about that game <laughs> it, it, it made you it <laughs> made me appreciate it a little bit like i would love to see a motorcycle thing and i've played different motorcycle games and it's like ah as a motorcyclist that doesn't feel right like that's not how a bike behaves and that's the thing like the motorcycle versions are just so far off from where the the car ones are right like, it would be cool to see someone take it out to that nerdiness of a level and then really do it. And then like, I don't know, like, are we going to see like people with like little like motorcycle setups in their living room? Like we do with car people. Be amazing. It's a little bit more difficult because you have to get the leaning and all that, <laughs> but it can be done. Honestly, even if they just had like a handlebar setup that you could just push. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Right. So you that's don't have true. to just like, like a steering wheel setup yeah. that costs two, 300 bucks. You just have the exact same thing. Yeah. I'd get it. Um, there are people that spend hundreds of thousands of dollars making like home racing sims. So like the market is there. Like yeah. there's, there's people that will spend this kind of money. Um, but I do think like that's, that's a big part of like where motorcycle racing sport is headed. Yeah. It's kind of like a, a, a thing that's in parallel and like, you know, like the cynic, like if you, you kind of think about it long enough, like you could see how that could replace actual motorcycle racing. Cause like motorcycle racing in person is a very different experience than motorcycle racing on a TV. Yeah. And that's any racing though. It's yeah. much more intimate on the television. You you get all the different angles and the But I think I think anything with a road course it's more so. Like I think like if you're going to like I think one of the reasons NASCAR is so popular and I think one of the reasons MotoGP <laughs> and like say Spain is so popular is both of those have racetracks where basically any seat yeah. can see everything that thing everything that's happening on the track. Right. You can sit anywhere in NASCAR and still see the left turn happening. Yeah. You're, well that's the thing, because like you it's it's just a big oval. Like if you, you might be the crashes might happen close to you or far away, but you're gonna see all the crashes. Right. And I think about like Valencia and Hareth and well, Aragon maybe not as well, much. Well you mean at Coda in America you can't see well, it's just hard. Like, like <laughs> it really is. A lot of racetracks, like if you're really lucky, you see like two or three turns and then hopefully there's like a jumbotron right. right there so you can see the rest of it. And I'm not going to say that the experience is worse, but I kind of think it is. Um, it is. For me, it's all about walking around and seeing all the things that are within yeah, the track. Like it, that's, that's, that's the appeal. Yeah. Whereas like I think if I want to like just actually see what's happening on the track and the racing and what the riders are doing, the on-screen presentation is far superior. Yeah. Honestly, the best seat at Coda for me was when I came to visit you at, at the, oh, the media center. The, yeah, the media center. I'm like, oh, you see everything here. <laughs> that screen's huge. All the data. <laughs> yeah, and they've got the live timing right next to the screen. That it's, screen's got to be like 30 feet wide by like 20 feet tall. It's so probably, big. Probably more. Yeah, yeah. it's huge. Um, and so if that's what like race fans are showing up for is the on-screen action, right. it's not a far deviation for it's like, well, does it have to be real? 
or can it be simulated? If the racing's still good racing and the action's still good action, yeah. do I care if it's a virtual race versus an actual race? I think and, always, I, and I think the dividing line on that's gonna be generational. I think I think you're right about that. Because for for our generation, you know, the draw of going to a track to watch any sort of motorsport racing is the noise, the the feeling you get from it and you know kind of seeing everybody else along with you geeking out about the whole thing it's like seeing any sort of live anything really it's just the the, the quote-unquote spirit of it right sure the the the, the je ne sais quoi. you yeah. cannot touch it but does that change as electric motorcycle racing comes in that's the, the i wonder about that you know because like okay now you're going to take away some of the visceral the noise the smell the smoke right um, some of those sensations are going to go away and it gets kind of closer to the virtual. And then it's like, well, it'll be interesting. I'll be very curious to see where this goes. A, a buddy of mine took his old mini and chopped it up, took the engine out of it and then put it in his basement and turned it into a sim, a driving oh, sim. Wow. Okay. So you sit inside a mini, a newish like 2006 mini S and you play your game. So all I could think of after I saw that is like, man, get like a wrecked Ducati and just turn that into, you know, like, like I said, if there was like a handlebar situation for a race game, to have something like that. I mean, they need to work on that a little bit more. World of Speed, just here outside Portland, has got yeah. a couple of racing sims where they've pulled in like old racing cars and then built like, you know, a pretty elaborate screen around brilliant. them. It's Using cool. old chassis like that. Just, yeah. You know, giving life to them again. I think it's like five, ten bucks a pop to, to like go do a couple of races. But like, I think it'd be worth doing at least once. I think so. You know, I need to go do that. That'd be interesting. That's a cool thing to have around here. Yeah. That and the uh, McMinnville uh, Air and Space Museum. I don't know if they call it that, but where the Spruce Goose is. Yes. I still haven't gone to that. Really? Mm -hmm. We should go. We should definitely we should go. do a motorcycle ride out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my family's got like a weird connection to the Spruce Goose too. So, wow. Okay, cool. Um, it's kind of like a weird a weird thing. <laughs> my my grandfather was in, was in aviation and like he and like Howard Hughes were like frenemies. So, yeah. Dude, you got some crazy history somewhere between the Donner Party and yeah. this. No, and it's all my mom's family. Mom's family, well, like, my mom's family literally settled California. Yeah. So we've got like weird, like settler stories from like way, way back. And then my grandfather was one of like the first aviators in California. Um, in fact, oh, you can't see it because we got the, the blankets up, but there's a watch on my shelf that was his. I have seen that watch. It's like a crazy story behind Every it. Every time I see that watch, I think of Pulp Fiction. Yes, yeah. I carry this idea. uncomfortable hunk of metal in my ass. I don't think it's been up anyone's rectum, <laughs> Hasn't but, it, it? but it has a World War II story to it. Nice. Um, but long story short, he was like, he one of his old planes that he had is now on the USS Hornet in San Francisco. Whoa. Um, he had like a large collection of planes and like new Howard Hughes and like, yeah, they don't think they really got along. But they and you became a did. sailor, not a pilot? Sailing's from my dad's side. All right. Yeah. Keeping the spirit yeah. alive. Oh my god, my stomach just rumbled and Coda just freaked yeah, Coda, the fuck you, out. Literally, your stomach rumbling scared her. Yeah, Look at her full alert. You might get bit right it's, now. It's intermittent fasting, Coda. Don't worry about it. Okay, bye. <laughs> Thanks you guys for not leaving. It? Did you not hear the monster? Thanks for leaving all the hair on me. Gracious. <laughs> can I use my Can I use my computer now? Um, she might come back. <laughs> are we done? Are we done with Suzuki? Are we done with Yanone? <laughs> Are we done with Moto America? We should say Zarko's name one more time. <coughs> Zarko, Zarko, Zarko. Oh, it's like Beetlejuice. Whoa, don't say it three times. What are you doing? <laughs> You're a maniac. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens next season. Like this, <laughs> this off season has kind of been entertaining. So I think we're going to 
see some more stuff. And then there's like this all this talk of like Jorge Lorenzo, like yeah, he's coming back as a what an announcer or a- I don't think it's been officially announced yet. Um, there's a lot of talk that he's going to become an announcer, and he may or may not become a test rider for Yamaha. Those are the two kind of they're not necessarily um, one or the other. Okay. So it might be both, but it sounds like the commentating thing is like for sure. And the test writing thing is maybe like 50 50. We'll see. I don't know. I'm interesting. That'll be, that'll work well for the, the European viewers too. It'll be pretty much everybody. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I always think it's really interesting when they have a racer in the commentating box because they see things and they know things. Their perspectives are totally different. Just so next yeah, level. And yeah. they know the players involved way on a way more deep level because right. like even if you're a journalist going to every round of the MotoGP championship and you're talking to riders all day long and mechanics and all day long like you learn a lot just through that. But you don't spend any time with them actually on the track. You don't know you don't have that though. same level of intimacy. Yeah, for turn after turn after turn right. and you're not privy to like the kind of like in the box conversations and the things that happen, the safety yeah. meetings. And I can only imagine what it's like. I mean, these people travel together all year long. Yeah. They're sort of together and separate, but they're, you know, they keep coming back to each other. They all kind of know each other. So it is interesting when you have like a, a rider in the box. Cause like they bring that, that, ne- that next level. Like I already think like the commentators bring a high level of knowledge right. and familiarness, but the racers bring like a, a level beyond that. That's really fascinating. Like when Ben Spees is in the box, that's always really good. Yes. um, I've heard Casey Stoner in the box before and uh, Bradley Smith in the box, and those are always really insightful. Jorge could be the same. Jorge is kind of like a a weird dude, though. Like he's kind of like this weird kind of like nerdy guy. I think that's what we need, though. I I think it's good to have that nerdy aspect of it. It could be good. Like I could see it like... It could be really good, and I, and I like my default position would be like it's it'll be a really insightful thing, but I also wonder like if he's got the personality for TV. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. I am wondering about that because I'm X I'm factor. thinking of any time there's been an interview with him, but I feel like that's different because he's so, you know, when he was being interviewed during races or post race, he he's so passionate and he's so um, methodical about his racing, and it would come across as sort of like. Um, uh, like detached from the interviewer so i feel like now that he won't be racing when he's going to be on tv talking about it it'll be he'll be more relaxed hopefully and i think i think you're right because i think too he's also more prone to just kind of like say what comes to his mind right which is always interesting when you kind of get rid of that filter it's like oh man, he really he said that oh, guy a real was dude riding, <laughs> he, he said that guy was riding like shit he must really be riding <laughs> like shit Ricky, oh yeah, man florenza said that about me i'd be like oh i'm not riding ever again thanks that was my favorite um, writing lesson I'd ever been given in my entire life was by Brian Catterson, uh, you know, of motorcyclists who now works at the Ducati dealership here in town. We were doing a track day and he's like, man, you look really good through through everything. I just got into group A and he's like, you're super smooth, nice and fast lines. I'm like, awesome. He goes, but I'm like, oh boy, here it comes. Nah. He goes, you, you suck at turn four. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you just suck at turn four. I'm like, well, what do I do to make it better? He goes, stop sucking. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. How do I fix it? Thanks, coach. And so he ultimately told me I'm too far away from the apex. And I'm like, well, I feel like I'm pretty close to the apex. He's like, dude, if you had an oar in your hand, you couldn't touch that fucking apex. <laughs> He's like, get closer. I want your knee to touch it, and it'll change your entire ride. And then, you know, so I did it. 
Uh, and he always likes to take over this part of the story. He's like, yeah. And then I'm behind him and he touches the apex and that fucking 999 just took off like a shot. He's yeah. like, and then I'm just sitting there on the bike going, that's how you do it. But that's the kind of student you want though. Like you give the input, they make the change and you see the result. I just love that for four times he was like, just stop sucking at it. Stop sucking. <laughs> that's, uh, what do you what, what, what you do is get out there and what else do you mean to tell you? Like, <laughs> I don't understand your issue. I'm telling you, you suck and stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, coach. I assumed your sucking was on purpose. <laughs> you were doing really well in all the other turns. It was just turn eight, turn four. I figured maybe we were trying to take a break. Turn four is kind of a tricky turn at PIR. It's it's not like a super tricky turn, but it's it's an exit corner. It is. And if you do it right, you can put the power down yeah, really well. So when you don't like, I don't think anyone like if you're giving out grades, it's really hard to get like a D or an F. Right. But it's not that hard to get like a B or a C. And because it's an exit turn down like the second longest straight of the track, it's almost it's like three quarters of a mile long, basically. Yeah. A C coming out of there or B, even a B coming out of there, even a B plus coming out of there is can be seconds on your lap time. It, it, so it like shaved so much sure time you, off yeah, for me. Getting an A going through that turn really does pay off. Uh, I swear I had turned as someone that gets seven like faster a minus because is of that. at that turn. I can tell. I, I I I am barely a B plus at this point, but I was starting at a C, I think. And I, I'm telling you, after I got it and it clicked in my head what he was talking about, I was finding myself like going easily 15 or so miles an hour faster. Yeah, down that back quote yeah. unquote straight because it's kind of a you know blind right hander. It's just it's just how quickly can you get full gas? It's insane, and you just stay on that wall. That wall is like your friend. And it's so terrifying because it's like inches away from you at 140 miles an hour. Yeah. <laughs> and you are, I mean, you are on the side of the t- the tire on the right side because it is a kind of an off-camber right-hander that you do 150 miles an hour It's now. off-camber and it's got a crown to it. So like you said, like the farther you away from the wall you get, the yeah. more off-camber it gets. And super bikes will full-on drag knee all the way around. You're dragging knee for like almost half a mile. That's impressive. Off-camber. Well, maybe not the whole half mile. The first time I passed somebody on my Multistrada on the outside on that turn, somebody had said to me, careful, it'll suck you out. Yeah. And then I passed somebody on the outside, and I was like, my knee didn't touch the ground, but I thought I I had to. Like, I had to get off the bike to force it back off, you know, back into the line I wanted to. It's like, okay, this is terrifying. This tall-ass motorcycle wants to go on the grass, and I'm not interested in doing that 140 miles an hour at all. It's, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, it's an interesting place, especially like when you start racing it, like for the class that I'm in, the middleweights. Oh man, they just changed the rules. What? Why? How? Wait. How? They just they just voted all the rules in Omra. And so now the Kramer, like there was a rule specifically targeting the Kramers that kicks us out of our lightweight class. What? And bumps us up into um we can only race middleweight races now. Are they doing that based on power? They're like a power to power weight ratio. And results, and it's also to kind of make room in the lightweight class for bikes like the Ninja Four Hundred. Mm. And uh, one of the topics actually I want to talk to you today about the little two fifty, the the well that two fifty, the Aprilia. That's what I'm thinking of. Um, the there's the Aprilia, but there's also uh, KTM is going to come out with like 500 cc. Uh, I saw twins. the lineup. I saw I saw the little map you the, put up. The whole map. So there's there's KTM's, there's Huskies, and there's gas gases. The Norden, I guess, is going to have like four different versions. Yeah, now? We'll, we'll get we'll get <laughs> mind blown. Ah, we'll okay, okay, we'll okay. get there. Uh, that's that's like I got one thing to talk about before that, and then we're gonna get to that. Okay, okay. Why don't we stop real quick for an ad break? 
This episode of the Brab Talk Motorcycle Podcast is brought to you by AGV Helmets and the new AGV K6. Finally, there's a comfortable, versatile, and safe road helmet for any motorbike and any rider thanks to the same advanced materials and innovative technologies used to help world champions achieve the maximum at the racetrack and in the most extreme conditions. Everything you need is now combined with everything you've ever wanted, the AGV K6 helmet. I can't do these two-hour shows editing them. Oh my god, <laughs> you kill, you're killing me. Um, but yeah, no, we just they just voted for rules for next year and a bunch of changes. So, um, a lot of racing series have like an open singles category for lightweights or okay. however they they define it. Um, and so that's what like the Kramer kind of takes advantage of is that rule because that 690 motor. The rule is really designed for like the bikes that are based on 450 singles mm-hmm. that um they were calling it like the super single or super mono it was like a thing for a hot minute and then people realized because it was motocross engines and then they started realizing like motocross engines don't really last very long on yeah. street tracks because they're not used to being wide open throttle for for long periods of time and they had a tendency to blow up so that class kind of died but that's what that was originally kind of designed for and the ktm just kind of like exploited it so yeah, now we got to race up a class um, officially, and that's fine. Like, I do six races a weekend. Four of them were racing up a class, anyways. Now I'll do six races racing, you know, quote unquote up a class. Um, and that's kind of been the trend, especially as like the Kramers have come out and uh, people are seeing the results. And it, I don't disagree with the idea behind the rule, <laughs> but it does kind of screw me. Yeah. <laughs> Like I'm not the like competition gonna, just got a little tighter. And I'm just like, oh, like, because like pretty much racing in lightweight, you're like guaranteed a podium. And now like racing in middle weight, you can still podium. Like I, I do think that Kramer's a middleweight bike in terms of how Omer's rules are established. Aren't you glad you're losing weight? Um, but yeah, that's the other thing. I'm like, no, I really gotta lose weight. Thanks, guys. But it's it's work. It's hard. Like especially we're gonna have uh, some FZO sevens on the track with us next year. The cripple triples. Are always really tough, especially PIR. But uh, yeah, those things wind up a lot easier on that long track. You also have to remember too, like Omer for next year will do three track configurations. So like Kramer might not be the right bike to be on at PIR, right? But at the chicane round, it does pretty good. In fact, at the Kramers did really well at the chicane rounds this year, and then up at the Ridge, the Kramers should like have an unfair advantage. Yeah. So I think over the course of the season, it'll make sense. But yeah, right I think now, you need, a, you need like, a nice technical track for that bike to shine. Yeah, absolutely. Somewhere where there's a lot of braking, a lot of transition, right. um, where it's not really like horsepower dependent, which PIR, normal track at PIR, so horsepower dependent. Um, I am really curious. I'm trying to get Aprilia to let me race a, the RS660, maybe at like the last round of the year, because <sighs> I really think that's that's a class killer. The, oh, that, that bike's going to be a rule changer. Yeah. Um, I think they're gonna have to ban it in Moto America. I'm almost more excited about that bike than than any other sport bike that's coming up next year. That bike's rad. Yeah, and I think it's good. like having. I mean, haven't ridden it yet, but I think the idea rad. of it. Yeah, it's the idea. Like I'm just sitting here day, daydreaming about what you could do with this thing. It looks good on paper. It looks right. really, really good on paper. It looks good in person. Just need to just need to check that box on writing <laughs> it on the on the track. Let me see this thing. Yeah, could be interesting. Um, I forgot what how we got segued onto this we were talking about writing 
Oh, turn four. Turn four. Yeah. Tangents, man. Tangents. We just go on these tangents. Rabbit holes. <laughs> like little, little, little minefields. Uh, really quick. Saw pricing for the Honda CBR 1000 double R dash R Fireblade. I think there's more to it. Is no, 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 because this is in the UK, so they have the base model. Oh, okay. 20,000 pounds sterling. 20,000 pounds sterling? For the base model. For a base model Honda 2020 CBR 1000 RR SP. Wait, yes. no, that's not the SP. That's the base model. What's that's the, the SP model. going to go for? The SP model is going for 23,500 pounds sterling. Oh, So, like, if you were just going to do, like, just basic currency conversions, that means the SP model would be $31,000 US. That's officially more expensive than a V4S. That's a lot of money. But I will say, like, I don't, you got to be really careful of currency conversions. Yeah. And like, current, like, looking at the price from one market to another. And so, like, I kind of did this analysis, and where I ended up landing was saying that, um, 28999. I'm expecting closer to $26,000 US for the Fireblade SP. That's funny. I was thinking 28, but I bet it'll be somewhere there. I don't think we're that far off. My Bothans were telling me like 25 ish. Whoa. So for I'm the SP? For the SP. Um, Which is all we're going to get here, isn't it? Right. Uh, Europe will obviously get the, uh, base. Get, get, get the base and the, uh, the SP, and that could be. Let's do the math. Like I think in like twenty seven thousand euros for the SP. I don't know. It, it it's gonna be pricey. We know it's gonna be pricey. Are they are they numbered limited? No, Jeez. it's just an SP. That's the thing. Like like you looked at like the previous generation or call let's call it half generation right. uh, uh, CBR, and there was the base model. There was the SP, and then the SP two. Right. And I don't think the SP two was numbered per se. Like like I don't think there was a plaque was. that said like one of five hundred. Right. But they only made 500 of them. So. Uh, wow. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit blown away by that. I mean, I know it's going to be an epic motorcycle, but that's some serious pricing on a Honda CBR. Yeah. And I'm curious to see. But doesn't the, it make sense while they bring in just the SP into the US? Yeah, if that's the that price? price. And my question is, you know, what are they going to do with the base model CBR 1000? Has it gotten a facelift or anything for the US in a while? Mm-hmm. I think they're just going to keep on keeping on. That's good old Honda. It's just keep 16, making it for 5 years. or whatever. Maybe it gets another $500 price increase because of, you know, inflation because or whatever. Because every year anyways. So let's, let's call it $17,000. i am i am wondering what Honda thinks their, you know, their selling point on that bike is going to be. Like, how, how many are they going to sell here in the U.S.? Are there I, enough Honda buyers that are willing to sling that kind of, that kind of dough around on a sport bike? It's a fun bike to ride, especially if they can update the electronics. Um, cause the electronics are a little weird. Um, but it's, it's really light. It handles really well. Yeah. It need it, you know, it needs like another 20, 30 horsepower. But like if Honda could do what Cowie did with the six R, the mm-hmm. ZX six R, you know, they came out and were like, Oh yeah, you want a 600 CC sport bike? 99, 99, boom, under yeah. $10,000. Yeah. Amazing pricing. If they could do something like that, where they come in is like, yep. We now have the cheapest superbike on the market. You want to get in a superbike that's really good, that's really fun to ride, and you can have fun track days on it. Not going to be the fastest thing out there, but you're going to have a really good time. Here it is. $15,000, whatever it is. Yeah. You know, figure out that price point. Well, and Honda's superbikes have always like, been friendly enough to ride anyway, so it's yeah. a 
great great way to get in get into a super bike right without breaking the bank and then they say oh you want like the pinnacle of performance we've got that too got it's covered just cost you like ten thousand dollars more <laughs> i'm really i i'm i'm excited to see the bike but i'm really curious to see how the sales of that bike will go because sort of historically you know bikes like that don't necessarily fly off the showroom floor because it takes a very specific buyer yeah right you have to be someone that's like a very a very good rider i think that's that because you're not buying that bike to go show it off at the coffee shop what are you going to show off a honda like that's that's where european bikes coming from so typically from like the street riders perspective i'm i'm looking at like some 40 year old dude that does really really good uh at track days and wants to have the best the yeah. best honda in his hands or her hands i think that could change I think give it time. Like I think we're we're very much like year zero on like a path of like seeing a super bike, like a true super bike will become more rare. We're like, yeah. Like what if it what if it kind of becomes like the Acura NSX, which in some markets is a Honda NSX. Yeah, it is. Um where it's like, oh, no one's gonna be excited about a Honda show. And I'm like, I don't know, I get pretty excited when an NSX shows up at a parking that, lot. That is a fair that assessment. Is a, that is a good looking car. It is. Especially just, the older ones. Yeah. Oh, I got a I got a thing for the older ones. Um, it just occurred to me that the Fireblade SP is going to be like ten thousand dollars more than the base model. I know. You said that earlier. Oh my god. My eyes got a little bit bigger. Like, God dang it! That's that's a that's a big chasm to cross. That's a huge delta between the two, man. Like, I'm thinking, you know, in 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 all the other brands that have you know a three level of the same motorcycle. Let's just, for the drinking game's purpose, say Ducati. You get the V4, V4S, V4R, right? I know there's a course edition, all that shit, but I'm just talking about like basic motorcycles. Mm -hmm. The price difference between all those bikes is not, like there's a step there. Yeah. Right? You're starting from a $21,000 bike, going to a $28,000 bike, and then you're going to a $40,000 bike. Yeah. Um, but there's no 20 they they need a 20,000 they, 20, they have a 30 they have a $30,000 one too which is the Corsa so there is a little step there between well, I'm just thinking for Honda they need something in the middle to bridge that gap yeah, I'm curious I'm curious what they're or they're gonna have to do some amazing market they, it could work if you market them as very different things if you say the previous generation is a super bike for the street right and this is a street bike street bike street bike that you can take on the track that's really good on the track it's great on the track but it's a street bike and then you pitch the SP as like track, 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 race, race, race. Does the SP have electronic suspension on it? Yeah. So I wonder if they did like a non-electronic suspension version of the SP for the US market. So it'd be a little bit less, right? So it'd be like that step yeah, between. Yeah, but you're talking like a thousand bucks difference. Uh, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's somehow sell it for like 3,000 less. It's an interesting time to be in super bikes. It is. And I just realized I was saying that Ducati doesn't have that big of a gap. They do because it goes from twenty eight thousand to forty thousand. That's a twelve thousand dollar gap. But you go into an but R like, bike, that's like, and I don't think that SP is an, an R absurdity. bike. Yeah, that's an absurdity. <laughs> Although worth every penny, it is worth every penny. I agree. If you own a V four R Panigale V four R, I understand it because it's worth every penny. Totally get it. And if you own one of those and don't take it to track with you. I'm not going to judge you, but I'm going to shake my head a little bit. I've seen a lot of those at the track. I know. I'm so impressed. Every time I see it, I'm like, I've seen dude. more of those at the track than I have on the street. Let's put it that way. Yeah. That stereotype is busted. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I was in Florida for a week, so there's oh, a, a lot of showboating happening in the streets yeah, over there. That's I fair. saw more McLarens in the five days I was there than I ever have, period. Yeah, that's fair. We are kind of in a bubble here. We are in a bubble. 
here the money money spent differently here when people spend money on big ticket items like that they say to themselves i'm going to use this thing and so like you know i go to track days where i see people driving around two hundred thousand dollar porsches or our motorcycle track days where you see people throwing around forty thousand dollar bikes like it's not that it's nothing but they're using it for its purpose it's not being bought to be driven around the streets because our streets suck for like high-end vehicles full of potholes and shit i've been watching the morning show okay it's uh it's an apple tv it came free with my apple tv that i bought um it's pretty good it, it you might like it actually okay uh jennifer aniston uh steve carroll and reese witherspoon i'm glad you and then like a bunch of other people you'd recognize and it's it's well done it's interesting but there's an episode where steve carroll's uh, is it carroll or carell carell just making sure we're talking about the same person. Yeah, sorry. Big I, nose, kind of funny. I'm, I'm still in Christmas mode. <laughs> Steve gonna, Jingle Bell Carol. Steve Caroline. Um, <laughs> Jingle Bell Rock. Uh, he gets a super legera. And it was really interesting to watch like like how that show like portrays like owning a motorcycle like that. Because like, all the other characters in the show are basically like, oh, that's like the douchiest thing I've ever seen. He's going to fucking kill himself. And He's just going to take it down to Starbucks and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and you're like, eh, that is kind of like the perception. Uh, that is a perception. Yeah. But here up in the Pacific Northwest, we're trying to change that. There's definitely markets. You know, like when I did that track day with uh, 11 Motorsports, when we went down to, to Coda, like half the bikes were V4Rs. You know? I, I love it. I mean, it is. What other bike are you going to buy off the showroom that has that that level of like just insanity, insanity, insanity yeah. sharpness yeah. to it? yeah. Like the bike needs nothing but your your ass to sit on and go ride. Yeah, if you have a bad lap time on that, it's definitely you and not the bike. That bike's rad. I do appreciate when I worked at the sales side when you know a, a beginner would buy a bike like that because they had the money for it, and we would just beg them, please come to a track day, please. Let's just put this thing in wet mode and just cut all the power out of it as much as we can, and just come do a couple of laps. And the few people who did that got just addicted to it. And then they would stop riding them on the streets. Like, this thing's bullshit on the street. I just want to keep doing track days. Yeah. And I loved seeing that. And it's like, well, sorry, we ruined it for you. But I'm glad you expose them to a whole new world. It's a whole new thing. They'd come to the shop and be like, thanks. I didn't realize I needed $8,000 worth of gear (laughs) because I'm doing all this track day. And oh, yeah, that uh, custom made uh, Dayanese airbag suit that I need to buy now. There's a, it's it's a whole new can of worms, man. It's uh, the V4R. But that's the package. I think that's the power of having a dealership that runs track days, though. Yeah. Because not only do you get to like use the machine for the purpose it was built for, but you also can expose them to a whole other side of the sport that, hey, has a financial upside as well. Airbag suits ain't cheap. They tires sure ain't not. cheap. Nope. Track days ain't cheap. And a V4 loves tires. Yeah, it does. <laughs> so, yeah, it's interesting. It's, um, I'll be curious to see how Honda plays this game because the typical like buying experience at say a European manufacturer is different than I would say most Japanese manufacturers. And now you're kind of cross like clients, like is uh, someone who's going to spend $26,000, $27,000 on a super bike gonna like the buying experience that they have at like joe's honda shack no and where does they, like they buy it from joe at that point and generators right. And dirt bikes you know stay right. right next to this like huge super bike i worked in big big uh box stores like that and and 
people that came in to buy the high-end stuff you know had one sales guy or salesperson that had been there for a long time and they'd already built rapport with that person so they would just come in and be like hey i'm gonna buy this stupid expensive thing i'm just gonna buy it from you because i don't want to deal with the generators and this and that and the other and so it was almost like it was this weird vip experience and then when you work at a harley or a ducati dealership every experience is that so you kind of get you know when you walk into one of those big box stores you look around like how do you guys do it how do you guys sell more expensive bikes here ever is it is the type of buyer that goes into a big box dealership looking to buy a premium brand product are they more of a commodity buyer like are they just showing up there because like it's it's Bob's Honda Shack and Bob's Honda Shack has the best Honda prices in these four states. So well, I mean, you buy it from Bob. Most of your big box stores have, have the major Japanese brands in them, right? That's right. typically what their their money maker is. So they'll have Yamaha, Suzuki, Honda, Kawasaki, and maybe like Sea-Doo or Bombardier or whatever. Right. Um, so because those brands have such a wide array of offerings, um, when it comes time to buy, say, the SP model, that's where you're going to be able to buy it. You're not going to go to the local or whatever European dealership because they're not going to have that thing. So if you're that buyer and you're looking to buy that $30,000 Honda, you have to go to the Honda dealership. That's all. That's the only place you're going to be able to buy it. So I, yeah, that's where the buyer goes. They have no other option. Because they're just forced to. That's, yeah, that's, that's huh. your only... Because that brand only has that one bike. I'm not saying that brand doesn't sell other expensive bikes. There are lots of Goldwings there, but that's a whole different buyer. Right, right, uh, right. So, right. so your 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 discerning purchaser who's going to make essentially a thirty thousand dollars sport bike purchase at a dealership that typically sells bikes that are ten thousand dollars cheaper and less, that's that's the only option they got. There is no like special room for that bike. There's no special treatment for that bike. And so, what the dealership does when a bike like that comes out is they tell their salespeople, "Hey, start making phone calls. If you know anyone that's interested in buying this motorcycle, because we've been allocated one or two of these things." The fear of it is that's going to sit there and collect dust. And so what you do is you actively seek out your buyers who have historically bought that motorcycle from you. And you say, hey, I'm going to get this thing coming in. You should probably, you know, if I thought of you and I thought you might be interested. And if the buyer says, yes, I am, then put down a deposit because chances are you've made 10 other phone calls just like this one. So hmm. you got to make it happen now. There's a very now, now, now mentality of let's get rid of this thing before it even hits the floor. And then let's see if we can ask that buyer if it's cool to hold on to it for a week so we can show it off to other people. Because hmm. it is super neat. It is, you know, your average uh, ZX6R buyer is probably not able to afford that $30,000 motorcycle, not in that point in their lives. So, but it's still that, like that apex bike that you want to see and kind of dream about and go, that's the thing I'm going to afford one day. Hmm. Whereas at a Ducati dealership, they're all like that. And it's funny because like you walk into that shop, like when I was younger, I would walk into a Ducati shop and go, I don't belong here. I'm not even like supposed to be here. I shouldn't even be looking at these things, but they always treated me nicely because they're used to every buyer walking in there being a Ducati buyer. I keep thinking about FAO Schwartz when I listen to you talk. Do you ever, do you ever go to one of those? Oh yeah, absolutely. In New York. Yeah. And we had one in San Francisco when I was growing up and I just watched the movie Big and, oh. it's, and it's in, it's in <laughs> that, right. you know, he does a little piano right. scene. That's what like kind of like clicked in my head, but like, it's the idea of here's this store that it's like Toys R Us in the sense that like they carry kind of everything, everything, yeah. But it's not Toys R Us because like Toys R Us is just 
it's like the Walmart of yeah, just aisles and aisles toys. of toys. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's just yeah, it's just it's, it's just all categorized aisles. between you know different ages and whatever. Yeah, and they're stacked, and yeah, they, maybe there's some method to the madness and how they're organized, right. but like you're just shopping shelves. Basically, there's no display. Not an experience. No, and that's the thing, and that's what FAO Schwartz is. It was like it's an experience yeah. where you can play with the toys, and there's like toys like set up and. You know, like, I don't know if there's, like, a Disney section. I haven't been in FAO Schwartz since, like, 20 years ago. But, like, you know, you could have, like, like I remember, like, those wood trains. Like, there's, like, a, be the big, like, a oh, whole yeah. setup of, like, a train yard. And, like, you could Dude, play can with the trains. when you're talking about it. FAO Schwartz had a very specific yeah. spell to it. And I feel like <clears throat> that's what, like, the big box stores could do better. Because, like, I don't want to buy my $27,000 CBR from Bob's Honda Shack. Mm-hmm. If it's going to be like the Toys R Us setup where like, okay, this is the uh, side-by-side section. Here's the dirt bike section. Here's the uh, street bike section. And there's your CBR. It's just kind of sitting over there in the corner. And, uh, you know, uh, there's like some racks with like motor oil next to it. And and that's that's our thing. But if it was like an FAO Schwartz experience where it's like, oh, yeah, this is engaging. This makes me like excited. Like I'm excited about motorcycles. I'm excited about these toys. I, wish, be, I mean, we, we've we've been talking about this forever, and I I, I do feel like that's the next level. That's the next step for the motorcycle buying experience. It has to become an experience, no matter that's what fair. you sell. That's say that again, because that's so important. It has to be an experience, no matter what you are selling. Yeah, right. It doesn't matter whether you're selling a three thousand dollars scooter or a forty thousand dollars Ducati V4R. It should be an experience, because as you said it before, it's it is the most expensive accessory most Americans will buy. Because that's all it is, is an accessory, a motorcycle. It's the most expensive pair she is. It really is. Here in America, that's how we treat it. So if you're going to sell that, then treat it that way and and like make the buyer have that experience every time. And it makes me think of like, you know, a car dealership, let's say like a Dodge dealership and all they sell is trucks and caravans and like little whatever Dodges. But every once in a while, someone walks in there and says, I want a Viper. Yeah. And And everyone's heads come, just blow off. I had a buddy of mine who used to work at a Dodge dealership back in the day, and he knew how much I loved the Viper. He's like, bro, you got to come in. We just got one in. It's going to leave here tomorrow. A customer ordered it. And so when I walked in there, it was like watching every salesperson, every every mechanic, everybody walked around and just to look at this thing because it was so special because they're surrounded by all these other humdrum bullshit uh, Dodge vehicles. Oh, my God. Dodge cars are the worst. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I always say that. I'm like, man, look at Dodge making the caravan, but also the Viper. <laughs> that That'd be... I think that's the same issue. I think that I think Honda's CBR issue is is the Dodge Viper issue. Where it like, is. So I'm literally going to go buy this ridiculous sports car that looks amazing. It's yeah, parked next to a bunch rad. of Honda N700s. <laughs> yeah, and you're going to stick it next to like a Dodge Caravan, and like if you're really really lucky, maybe a Jeep Wrangler. Right. You know, and you're just like, that's got to be a weird thing. I wonder how this would be fun. We should go buy. We should go like try and buy a Corvette. Because I want to know what the Corvette buying experience is like inside of a Chevy dealership. Because I bet it's different. Because Corvette's done, or Chevy's done a really good job of making the Corvette its own sub-brand. Right. That's interesting. Yeah, I wonder if they have like a specific like spot for yeah. Corvette experience slash Camaro experience. Because those have become super high-performance vehicles now too. But Yeah, I wonder like... 
yeah, I wonder if there is like a corner of the dealership that's more like, a, say, like a Porsche or Ferrari. You're just like, okay, right. well, we're going to pick what color leather it has, and do you, which which package do you want it? How many wings can we put How on do it that? for you? You walk into the dealership and you're like, hey, I'm interested in looking at a Corvette because, like, they ask you, what are you interested? In? Like, are you looking to buy a new Chevy Colorado for your work site, or are you looking at this brand new C8 Corvette? <laughs> like, because you got to go two different directions. Yeah, no, I could see us walking into a Chevy dealership and be like, we'd like to purchase a Corvette. And then we go like, Larry, two gay guys want to buy a Corvette. <laughs> we're going to have bigger suspension. They're big dudes. Because we're holding each other's pinkies as we all look next to each other. Looks like a power bottom. Power bottom. The bearded guy is smiling at me a lot. I can't tell which one's the guy, which one's the girl. They both have beards. <laughs> Are you both catchers? How's this work? <laughs> How's this work? Tell me how it is. Um, yeah, I really, I wonder. You know, what we should do is go to a motorcycle dealership that doesn't know us. And just to kind of get a better idea of how the whole process works. Because I've gone to pretty much every dealership around here. And it's unbelievable how different every one of them are. Yeah. There's no there's no real standard of operation of how you should uh, you know, display, how you should make it look, how you should treat customers. All right. Third spinoff business idea for Ooh, 2020. Hit me. Secret Shopper. You and I. Brap Talk Secret Shoppers. That's actually... I don't think that's a bad dealership idea. Dealership consultancy. So... I mean, you and I have both heard from industry people that some of the stuff that we say gets into a couple of people's ears that are in the dealership side. Yeah. And some people, I'm not I'm not giving us too much credit here, but some people have scratched their heads going, huh, maybe these people have a good point or a bad point. Um, but I feel like Secret Chopper, that, that's a big deal because it should, here's what it should be. Never mind Secret Chopper, Brap Talk Consulting Services. Yeah. We yeah. have some ideas for y'all. Yeah. We want to see you succeed. We want to see you do better. And I think doing the same shit every day is not going to be the answer. Pied Piper does like a secret shopper thing for motorcycle dealerships. Yeah. That's that's interesting. Like I always look at their data and it's it's always interesting to me. I, I don't know. Like none of it ever really seems that surprising. And like, what's the price? Like, I don't know if like they're changing the price of bread with anything that they're producing, but there is definitely room for improvement in a lot of dealerships. I got a good name for it. What is it? The Brap Eye for the Motorcycle Guy. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> <laughs> we're going to come through and we're going to spruce up your dealership and everything's going to be so much better. And you're going to cry at the end. Uh, but also you have to pay us. But then you got to pay us because daddy's <laughs> got to get paid. All right. Who listening to us is in a dealership and wants to pay Brap Talk to walk in and kind of help y'all? Because I'm really good at telling you everything you're doing wrong. <laughs> oh, Jensen's very good at it. I'm much friendlier about it, so you might want to hear from me. But <laughs> God, I've got no solutions to offer you. I just want to tell you what you're doing wrong and leave. That's, that's my entire business model, Shane. <laughs> like from it. the website to the podcast and on. Like that's that's all I'm here to do. Just you're fucking tell up. You what you're doing wrong. <laughs> offer you no solutions. Drop the mic and walk away. <laughs> This is all wrong. What can I fix? Stop doing it wrong. Uh, I don't know. You should just. <laughs> You're like Brian Catterson. Yeah, just stop sucking at it. We could. He could be my my first uh, employee. <laughs> stop. Stop doing that thing wrong. Brilliant. <laughs> I think we should do this. I think it's a good idea. Brap talk. Brap eye for the motorcycle guy. I like it. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. I like it a lot. So when you were talking about the uh, the big box experience, I couldn't help but think about KTM. I think the issues that they have, especially with the the street bike versus dirt bike side of things, which is now we're finally getting to those those. So what, what it was was an investor document that was put up on uh, Pierre Mobility's um, Perrier Mobility's website, okay, which is the holding company for KTM Husqvarna. 
uh, Gas Gas. They own a chunk of Gas Gas. They own a chunk of Kiska. Uh, they own there's a there's a bicycle company whose name is looting me. They own a couple things. Okay, that's stuff on Perrier's. They're like two wheels. Way of managing things. So it was really funny because like. I definitely heard some like KTM North America getting pissy with people for sharing it. And you're like, uh, you know, it's a document that your parent company posted, right? <laughs> like this is not like, I know it's, it's private information. I don't know why you guys are out there telling everyone, but you guys are out there telling everyone about it. So why are you getting upset for people like sharing it? Right. That's a whole nother can of worms. Um, KTM North America is weird sometimes, but uh, this document did show a bunch of new models, specifically a bunch of 500 CC twins that we'd already kind of knew about that, that had already been rumored stuff on Perry had already kind of like teased that out. Right. But it showed very clearly like, you know, whether there's going to be an adventure bike and there's going to be a naked bike and there's going to be a full fairing bike. And then we saw that, uh, Husky had a bunch of different models, mm-hmm. uh, which bunch of basically you're going to have all the Nordens you want. All of them from the 1300 down to two something, 250. Yeah. Yeah, and then they showed that Gas Gas will be getting into the street bike market, Ooh. which is really interesting. So now you have three brands that are all sharing. Uh, they all have shared ownership, and they're all sharing engine platform, engine platforms and chassis. Mm-hmm. And I'm just really curious to see how they're going to keep that straight. And then think back to like going back to the dealerships. Yeah. And it's like, all right, so I've got this dirt bike brand that's making street bikes now, and then I've got like three other brand or two other brands that are selling the exact same thing. Like, what a conundrum for dealers it is. And I think I think KTM as a whole, KTM and Husky have an opportunity to kind of change the experience because I've yet to walk into a dealership that sells either one of those brands and be like wowed by the quote unquote experience of it. Right, it's, it's still treated as like that low end European. It's almost like oh, it's just another Japanese brand, but it's not. It's still a like there's a lot of pride behind a KTM ownership and uh, having the manufacturers orange and black you know colors with you. Is that because the those brands are like dirt bike brands first, and the dirt bike buying experience probably is different? Yeah, I think I think because those brands are dirt bike brands first, and typically the people that sold them were selling multiple other brands. Uh. And so they just treated it as this other auxiliary brand that they also sold that had a weird little following. But now it's not. Now it's a it's a whole brand of, of its own, and it sells just about everything you'd ever want. And they're all really pretty great bikes. Um, so I feel like the opportunity that exists for them is a little brat pie for the motorcycle guy freebie. Mm. I think KTM and Husky brands should should treat their retail centers the same way, say, Land Rover and Range Rover does. Okay, explain that. So if you walk into a Land Rover slash Range Rover dealership, you are you're you're basically immediately swathed with what feels like luxury, right? But they're selling cars that are capable off road, and so they sh- show that off. KTM kind of does the same thing. They have bikes that are very luxurious on their on their touring adventure touring side, where they have you know heated seats and ABS and beautiful uh, TFT screens on them, a lot of high end cool stuff. But they also sell these badass two stroke dirt bikes and four stroke dirt bikes. And so I feel like the showroom should be redesigned to kind of show off all these different things, not just be a mishmash pileup of motorcycles thrown in there that are, you know, you and I know are cool bikes, but the setup, the way it looks is just another box store that's selling a Honda, Suzuki, and KTMs. I think if you are trying to be a KTM-only dealership, you can really do a good job of 
making it feel special when somebody walks in there, whether they're buying your lowest dirt bike or your most expensive adventure touring bike. And and anytime I've walked into a Land Rover dealership, I've gotten that sense because it's like, oh man, these guys are selling like really cool luxury cars, but they're also showing me how I can do off-road by like just the way they're displaying the cars where it kind of sits in a weird little uh, manufactured kind of off-road looking segment. You know what I'm talking about? Have you seen Have you seen what I'm saying? Where the car like sits kind of like at an angle and it's yeah, they'll have it like weird... some dynamic display. Well, not dynamic, but that's uh, actually a good way of putting it. It is sort of a dynamic display, because it changes, it moves around a bit here and there. Okay, that would be the correct way of me thinking of a dynamic. I, I'm thinking of like they'll have like a fake rock yeah, boulder like thing, like a facade that they put together. They put together, but they get the 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 SUV on it, so like. You know, the one tire's bunched in, the other one's extended. Like it's yeah. showing like, hey, this thing can really go off road, but it's it's static. It's not moving. But if it was dynamic where like I think they back move to it the, around, they change it. Yeah, I'm I'm actually thinking back to the cooter display. Cooter. Yay, we said cooter. <laughs> <laughs> Eat that Zarko. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they had a dynamic display that was showing off like how the independent suspension worked for each wheel yes. and, and how it was leaning. Yes. And so, like, I'm, I wouldn't necessarily expect that at a car dealership, but that could be interesting too. Yeah. So I feel like that's the thing. I, you you have to you have to do a little extra if you're trying to draw people in to have that quote unquote experience. If you're gonna look like Toys R Us, you're gonna run out of business like Toys R Us. Ooh. Right. Ooh. Like, speaking some truth. Like all that shit's gone, man. No one's no one's. Are you no doing one. ASMR? I got goosebumps. <laughs> Can you hear my voice? Um, <laughs> I really think the motorcycle industry in the in the American side we're buying things differently and i think it's time to start changing things and i know it costs money i know it's scary but you're gonna fail otherwise it's that value added it is that it's, value it's added. like why give me a reason why i shouldn't buy it online and that reason the answer that's the question the answer is the value added the experience yeah. of like i'm gonna go down to the dealership and you're gonna Give me an experience that isn't just a transaction of I pulled the thing off the shelf and mm -hmm. I gave you my money and I walked out the store instead of like, I'm Tom Hanks and I'm playing the piano with my boss and we're having a crazy good time right. and now I'm totally hooked on everyone's sports involved and buying pianos and being Tom Hanks. Yeah. When you walk in to a bike shop, it shouldn't just be a what can I do to get you on a bike today? It's a it's a what can I do to make this a cool experience for you so that you go and tell everybody about it? What can I do to make you want to ride a motorcycle? Today? Yes. Absolutely. And I know like some, some dealerships, you know, like Motocorsa here in Portland, you know, they, they're, they're very, they're very adamant on, you know, we're a tribe, join our tribe, be part of this thing, come ride with us, come do this. And, and to some people it seems contrived and it's a little bit intimidating and maybe you're, you're a little bit introverted. I was having a conversation with a really good friend of mine about this and, you know, he, to him from the outside looking at it, he was like, shut the fuck up. Like, why are <laughs> you like, that's a little bit stupid. You guys are trying a little bit too hard, but what I saw from the inside when we did that, and it was it came from the heart for most of the time because it was like we wanted you to feel welcome. We wanted you to feel like you came into this place, and we want you to be a part of it because it's not just buying a motorcycle. It's it's buying into this thing that says I'm gonna ride more. I'm gonna go out and explore more. I'm gonna go have more fun. I'm gonna go do more track days. I'm gonna do whatever. You're not gonna do that if somebody's just sitting there at their desk going, "Hey, can I help you?" Right? right you're only going to do that if somebody goes oh my gosh yeah you're looking at boots let me show you these five different kinds of boots and why they are the way they are let me show you this and i've, and I've worn all these boots right so i can tell you what the pros and cons are. yes yeah and the thing is the more people come through 
then you as a salesperson don't have to just rely on your words. Then you can say, hey, Jensen, you wear those boots and you're just the customer here. Do you mind telling us how you feel about them? Why'd you buy, why'd you buy these things? And at Motor Corso, they, they, when, when I was working there and I imagine still to, the, to this day, they had a great culture of people constantly coming by. So when a new buyer was there, they saw that like, oh yeah, they're treating everybody like they're, they're so-and-so at Cheers, the, the show Cheers. Like everybody walked in and were like, hey, what's up, bro? How's it going? Where you ride today? What'd you do? It was like having this brap talk uh, podcast, but on a daily basis because that's all we ever did, and and that's part of the experience. That's part of that value added. You can't have that at just a, another. How can I help you today? Box store. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And so, part of that is the facade of the place. Part of that is when you walk in, the feeling you get from it. We'd have people from other Ducati dealerships who came to our shop and were like, "Dang, this this is cool." Like y'all obviously spent some time and money to make this the way it is. And that is the case. It did cost time and money. And it was super stressful for the person who put it together. But the end result was an experience. And everyone that came through wanted to be a part of that experience. And guess what? That sells at the very least some some merch. Yeah. Like, you know, you buy the yeah. t-shirt. Ah, t-shirt. The the last thing I wanted to talk to you has got me. I'm thinking about what you just said in that context because I wanted to talk about the Segway Apex, this horrible oh, yeah. little electric motorcycle thing. Fucking video. The video looks like <laughs> I like that it's called the apex and at no point in the video does the rider hit <laughs> an, never apex. Hit an apex like it's like like a where's waldo <laughs> of motorcycle riding we're like ah, i couldn't find an apex if you tried um but it's interesting because like segway as a company it's another one of those kind of like oh, i'm sorry pardon I, my ignorance this is the segway yes like the two wheels stand yes. up on the thing and the guy fell off of a cliff and died segway yeah okay wow yeah. all right like, I was I was the whole time I was in Florida I was reading this and I was like this is the same this can't be the same it is the same the, for me just to like get to the end before we get there the thing is an interest I don't care about what Segway's building like they have an interesting kind of like moped dirt bike thing that like twenty other brands are building the same thing it's like right. it's like cake but right. cheaper um, so it's like okay cool you're making that uh, this super bike it's not a super bike. I don't think we haven't gotten like detailed specs yet, but I, I'm expecting to be underwhelmed. And looking at the videos, you're like, oh my God, this thing looks horrible. <laughs> uh, it looks visually very good. It just looks performance wise very horrible. And I'm, excited, I'm not that excited about it. But what I think is interesting is a brand like Segway is like, oh yeah, electric two wheels. We want to get in on that. Yeah. And there's other brands like them that are like, oh yeah, this is a space. Like, like we see, we see what e-bikes is doing. We can plot that to the next logical next step and start building stuff like that. And then that could be, you know, this electric, I think it's going to be like a 125 CC equivalent. Right. And that makes sense. And you're like, yeah, okay. That should start getting people like Honda and Yamaha and Ducati and KTM, like wake them up. Like Segway is going to get into this. Uh, Casio is going to start building this. <laughs> Panasonic has got. Right. There's like a bunch of small startups that are all like getting in on this. Like we gotta, we gotta do something. That for me is the interesting part. I don't care so much that it, like what Segway is building. I care that a company like Segway thinks that this is an opportunity. But to get back to it, I don't really know what the buying process is with a Segway. I would imagine it like like in my mind it's like you go to a sharper image, but those don't exist. No, anymore. I mean a Segway store is like a like a bicycle store almost. Yeah, I guess it would be like a bicycle store. I mean, they just sell Segways, but it has the same feeling as a bicycle store to me. I, yeah, and that's where I'm like, okay, so you're gonna come like build this cool electric right. motorcycle? Like, what's the buying experience gonna be? What's that dealership experience gonna be like? Yeah, because um, I mean a regular Segway, you don't need a license. I don't think for no. those. You just 
buy it and get a helmet and best no, of luck any, to No, literally any asshole with a bicycle helmet can ruin your driving experience <laughs> by having a Segway <laughs> and just wander out into the Have street. Have you seen the single wheel version? that I've, I've seen some dudes riding around. Yes. It's, it's an electric single wheel Segway type thing. Yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. Not 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 the not the board, not the one you stand on. It's like it's oh. got a seat. It's like a it's like a what do you call it? A, a single wheel bicycle. What's it called? A unicycle. Unicycle. Thank you. It's a single wheel bicycle. You were, you were there. ESL. The ESL. Yeah. ESL's like, come the on. You got there. You got there pretty close for English <laughs> yeah. as a second language. So a unicycle, but electric, no pedal. You just lean forward and the thing goes forward and you lean back and it slows down. I I saw a dude hauling the mail here in town at the at the pearl district on that thing and i was like what the fuck that's the coolest thing i've ever seen look difficult i'd like to see honda has something similar but i think technically it has four wheels or three. Oh, but like you sit on it i got to play around with it at the they did like a gold wing preview in santa barbara and then they set up like a course for these little i don't even know what you call them i forget what the name is I want to say it starts with like an N, like Nemo or something like that. Let's say it's Nemo. I'm totally not the name, but it could be. But it was like it was like somebody. It was like a stool. It was like a Segway and a stool had a baby. And it is a Segway. It's called the E Plus Electric One Something Nine Bot One. Nine Bot's the company, the Chinese company that owns Segway now. Yeah, Nine Bot. They're seventeen hundred dollars. Seventeen hundred. Seventeen hundred dollars. That's a lot of money. Nine Bot. You could get a decent shitty car for that. I guess I'll just keep buying that one wheel that I wanted anyways. That was about seventeen hundred bucks as well. The skateboardy looking yeah. one? Is that how much those are? Well the like the highest end one, the most capacity one. Is how much? Seventeen hundred bucks. Those things look like I know. The first time I saw them, I thought it was just something that like some nerd made in his garage. It they, is something some nerd made in his they garage. They just look like a box and a wheel, like oh, a dude, wheelbarrow. It's literally or something. something some nerd made in his garage, and then they just packaged it better and they're still selling it. It's genius. They, if you look at them, like they look indestructible. It's like the pet rock of unicycles. But it works, unlike a pet rock. I saw someone at the track try and use one and they <laughs> ate shit so hard. They to be fair, they were trying to pull a uh, like a cart like a gear cart <laughs> that's amazing so like that was like next, that was some next level like <laughs> maybe start off without the cart but yeah that was a disaster and i was like i'm not getting on one of those that looks like a i got to use i got to try one out there was a kid who had one and i just started talking to him he was like the 16 year old kid and he was so well versed in the whole thing and uh, i was like can i ride it he goes yeah but do you mind putting your motorcycle helmet on? i'm like good on you for asking me that <laughs> absolutely i totally he goes people fall every time and so I put on my helmet, and there's a whole learning process to it. You, it it's a, uh, it's so unnatural feeling when you first do it. And I've skateboarded; I know how to skateboard. But getting on this thing, because you have to basically tell your body it's okay to lean forward to make the thing go forward. It's okay to lean back to make it slow down. And then, like, you really got to get on the side either way to make it turn. It's it's sort of interesting how it works. I'd imagine it's closer to like snowboarding than skate. Well, I guess those are kind of similar things. I I have to. I've never snowboarded, but I have to imagine you're. Because on a snowboard, when you want to turn, you have to really force it because it doesn't have a rocker on it. You know, it's just a flat thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd be I'd be curious to try it uh, if I was in like a padded room. <laughs> just put on your motorcycle gear. Put on your any gear my, you have. My airbag you feel, suit. Be set. No, no. I'm telling you, put on your Dayanese uh, <laughs> suit and you'll be fine. You'll be like I'm indestructible. Because <laughs> the thing goes up to like I think like 15, 16 miles an hour. The thing I always think about with those is like you hit a pothole and like 
you get it like you said 15 20 miles an hour and you that's, hit that's like all in, that's, that's you moving hit a, you hit a curb or a pothole and you go flying in it and it's one of those like unassuming type of tasks where uh you're just not wearing anything for like that velocity <laughs> badness to happen to you like huh I yeah I'm, I'm super interested in this one bot thing that is the weirdest thing i've ever seen in my life yeah <laughs> that guy was hauling ass <laughs> um yeah I give it a whirl. Transportation, everything's up for grabs, man. Everything's, everything's up for grabs. It's, it's interesting. It's true. Uh, with that, Shaheen, we should probably get out of the show. Uh, hopefully, we're back to our weekly format. Yeah, we're back in town. Since the boys healthy, are back, we're in, back town. in town. Uh, we got big plans for 2020. I don't know if this is our last show recorded in 2019. It will probably be our last show delivered in 2019. So it's been a, a great year with all the Brap Talk listeners. Um, it's been amazing. We get a, get a lot of uh, conversations with a lot of you. Yeah, I keep running into people yep. at different motorcycle events. Um, I was just we didn't even talk about. It. I did the motocross of fashion show and I ran into a bunch of listeners there. Yeah, uh, you were there too. Yep. Like it was. Yeah, I feel like everywhere we go, we hear people talking about the show, which is so rad. Yeah, I really which, dig it. I, I dig how positive everyone is about it. I really appreciate the. I mean, constant barrage of like emails and comments yeah. and DMs on Instagram. Yeah. Um, thanks for thanks for listening to us. Uh, we we like being in your ear, and we definitely like what you have to say, as far as your remarks and you know what you think we should do, whether better or worse. So we're working on being more consistent on putting more shows out, especially now that we're we've able got, to. We've got some good ideas on we've got how, some to, great ideas, how to yeah. keep coming every That's week. Right. Now. <laughs> we're gonna get ahead of it. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, I would just like to say you know happy holidays. The holidays are probably done by the time this is out, but maybe there's still a New Year's for you. Yeah. Um, but it's been a great 2019. We're looking to a great uh, 2020. And Shaheen, it's been a, a year of adventure with it's you. It's been a pleasure, and I'm looking forward to next year. Yeah, absolutely. Should be good times. And until then. All right, sir. Good talk. Safety third. I'll see you out there. Bye. This episode of the Brap Talk Motorcycle Podcast is brought to you by AGV Helmets and the new AGV K6. What you need and what you want in a motorcycle helmet. Are you ready for some motorcycles?